On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we speak with illustrator and comic book artist Lin Yoshi. Plus, Lulu French returns to talk about Stranger Things Season 3. Now, straight from the vaults of Themyscira, in which I've locked myself again, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Kikawatts, episode number 42 for July 2019. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that are cool and noteworthy and deserve to be celebrated. Do both yourself and myself a favor and subscribe right now to guarantee that you never miss an episode. few weeks removed from the 4th of July holiday here in the United States. You know, there are a lot of ways to celebrate that holiday, but one of the best of them is launching off some fireworks and firing up the grill in small town America. Say, a town like Hawkins, Indiana, where the carnival rides are family friendly, the psychic energy readings are off the charts, and there's a secret Russian invasion that needs to be repelled. You know, a traditional Independence Day. This is exactly what your early July looked like if you were among the 40.7 million Netflix viewers who inhaled the long-awaited, much-anticipated Stranger Things Season 3 and are perhaps still coveting Eleven's bedroom radio or desperately trying to find the closest Scoops Ahoy ice cream shop, we're going to dive into the glorious 1980s-soaked mayhem in what will probably be a very spoilery discussion, so consider yourself warned. And by we, I mean myself and a woman who is an improviser. She is my partner in life and in all things, and someone who I believe can keep this conversation on track and not let it turn into a never-ending story. Uh, see what I did? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Lulu French. Woohoo! Howdy. <laughs> Howdy, as they say in Hawkins. They don't say that in Hawkins, Indiana. <laughs> so, uh, Lulu, leading up to the release of season three, you rewatched the first two seasons of Stranger Things. Do you feel like this helped give you any particular insight or boost the enjoyment of season three? Did it help cement any relationships, for example, since this season really hits the ground running on that front? Oh, yeah. Um, I had seen uh, season one maybe three times, so I knew it pretty well, but I had only seen season two once. It had been a while, so it was good to see it again. And when I watched season two, I did a lot of binging toward the end. And when you just like mm-hmm. binge episode after episode, you forget details. Right. Um, oh, yeah, this happened. Right, yeah. So it, a lot came back in, in watching that. And remembering that Steve was kind of alone at the end, um, that Nancy and Jonathan were kind of together. Uh, so, like, I couldn't remember those kinds of things. So, yeah, it was it was good for me to kind of get kind of get back into that world and those characters and their relationships before going into the third season. That's interesting. I had totally forgotten that there was some continuity, like where Steve's love life sat at the end of season two. Right, yeah, he just kind of sits in a car. Well, he's sitting in the car outside the snowball, and he sees Nancy, and he looks at her and then he drives away wow 
Uh, also, side note, I know that this household are Stranger Things super fans, but to hear you say, well, I've watched season three three times, or no, se- season, season one. one. I've watched season <laughs> one three times. Like, holy moly, we've watched, and by we, again, that's you. Um, did, did, I don't know if that's super fan status. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who have seen Stranger Things more than I, but as someone in their late 40s, maybe I've seen it a lot. <laughs> Do, do you feel like there were any unanswered questions from previous seasons that that still sort of remain unanswered? Like, for example, we didn't revisit the other psychic kids from Chicago that we spent a whole episode with in oh, season right. two. Yeah, yeah. So I for a second there, I was thinking, what hasn't been answered? But really, it's Dr. Brennan. Sorry, Brenner. Dr. <laughs> Brenner. Uh, right, because in season two, um, the bad guy that 11th and... Um, Oh, God, what was her number? Was it two? Oh, maybe. I don't remember. Ah, sorry, listeners. 3.14. When they were attacking the bad guy in season two, he said, I know where Dr. Brenner is. I can tell you his location. Oh, yeah. They did sort of indicate that he was still alive. Yeah, they dropped that. And I believed him. So I think that, that he could potentially still be out there. And were you saying questions at the end of season two or the end of season three? No, if there are questions still from the end of season oh, two, right, then yeah. after you watch season three, like, hey, we didn't really get on. Yeah, Dr. Brenner, that's the big one. Um, I also hope that he's around because that is the best cosplay for myself that I can cobble <laughs> together these days is looking just like Matthew Modine in Stranger Things. Uh, Brad has been accused of looking like Matthew Modine his entire adult life. <laughs> Uh, why couldn't I look like someone more famous? All right, so let's talk about what we did see in season three. We saw a new beast born of the interdimensional upside down, the Mind Flayer. We got a secret Russian military cell lurking under a brand new shopping mall. We got teenage actors sucking face. Where to begin, Lulu? Oh my gosh, what's the what's the big standout from season three? There's so much and it's so well integrated and well, well intercut in a season that feels like um, like it's all climax. It's like, you know, we're in the final third starting in episode three. It's nothing but action now. Right. What's the big thing? I don't know. For me, I guess it's Billy. Mm, Billy. Um, yeah, he was for me the most intense aspect of season three. Yep. His character, um, his character as a human, his character as the 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 heart of the mind flayer and the you know, kind of conflict between uh, his true self and his possessed self. And he, he's captivating to look at as well. I mean, I, I guess you could say, oh, you're saying he's good looking? That's yeah, all the ladies sure. by the pool thing too, Lulu. Sure, he's good looking, but he's also an amazing actor. Yeah. And you know me, big Adam Driver fan. It's like it's, there's kind of a similar thing going on in that you're just kind of watching him like, wow. That's interesting. No, I, I buy that. He was a character in season two. I hated that character in season two. Wow, he was an asshole. Yeah, well, yes, he was. But then, and, and even watching it like, ugh, this guy just grosses me out. I know that's the point of it. But then he had that one scene in season two. With right? his father. That oh, one? No, I was oh, I thought the, you were the one with his father was really great, but well, I meant that with, just like... with Mrs. Wheeler. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Where he he just like turned on lizard brain or something like I know exactly 
how to do this to begin seducing this middle-aged housewife <laughs> or whatever. And it really was magical, like, wow, this level of grotesque. <laughs> that scene was brilliant. And so when I rewatched season two, like I had forgotten that she was in the bath, surrounded by candles, <laughs> reading a romantic novel. The ones that we saw, those paperback novels we saw in the book aisle of the grocery store. Oh, Lord. There'd be like 20 covers of like a dude with long hair and the wind. Good catch. Sweeping some women in a you know period dress off her feet, right? So yeah. it was like one of those 80s style romantic novels and so then that she was already like in this frame of mind when he shows up and we see a very different version of him yeah mm, you know he's like it's still a version not to be trusted right of so course. in that way there's <laughs> he's still yeah. himself um but oh it's but, it, but so it's good. him like this is what i am bred to do is yeah. be the seduction machine or something. Yeah. Right. So then the scene with his father really just kind of lays yeah. out why why he's a dick. Because his yeah. dad's a dick and treats him so terribly and probably has his whole life, which we then saw in season three. We saw more of that, which then caused us, the audience, to feel more compassion and empathy toward him. Right. Um, right. And then kind of see him, see the duality in him. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Um, so we can talk more about him. I mean, there are a lot of characters that we met in season two with expanded roles in season three, like Billy. Billy is probably first and foremost among right. that list. And Max. And Max, of course, Lucas's little sister, Erica. Yes. I w <laughs> Did they have plans to bring her back or was the fandom so like, Erica's so awesome that I, they just like thought, well, we need to do more with Erica? That's, that's a really good question. I remember, so behind the scenes, like in the entertainment trades, they made a big deal about uh, announcing additional cast or announcing two people to be series regulars right as in like you're going to be in the opening credits you know and she was one of them that was for season two no that was for season three oh, okay so i don't know if she got there because the fans were like this girl is amazing or or if they had big plans maybe both i don't know um and it was such a joy to watch her again in rewatching season two being like, oh, yeah. oh right, right. <laughs> Everything she says is gold. <laughs> and and I'm going to add to that list also of characters that we met in season two, but then really got to shine in season three. Conspiracy theorist and fluent Russian speaker, Marie Bauman. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. He was extremely prominent in season three. Right. And then, of course, we have some brand new faces like Maya Hawk as Robin. So she was the one who was the other big announcement, right? It was Lucas's sister and her. Um, as announced as like, these two are going to be series regulars in season three. And, you know, everyone said like, oh, well, that one is Lucas's sister. And this other one is apparently the child of Ethan Hawke and, uh, and Uma Thurman. Right. Um, exactly. So st we so we meet Robin, right? That's Steve Harrington's co-worker at Scoops Ahoy. Um, we also have other new characters, sympathetic Russian Dr. Alexei. We have Hawkins Mayor Larry Klein, played by Carrie Elwes. Um, and thanks to show creators Matt and Ross Duffer and the rest of the creative team, these characters steal everything they do every time they're on screen. I mean, and not necessarily at the expense of the regulars, all these kids that we've seen, because they kill it 
as well. But all the new kids, uh, literally, in many cases, are amazing. Yep. Everyone who's known and unknown all are yeah, amazing. Murder it. Yeah. Um, specifically, you know, if we're talking about the regular cast coming back who, who destroy it, um, how do we not talk like about David Harbour, who has so many incredible moments, but you and I both looked at each other during one standout scene about halfway through the season, which I know at the time I labeled as like, when he gets his Emmy nomination, this is the clip that they're going to show, right? When he's getting dressed and, and just being emotionally, oh, great choice or whatever. <laughs> Just being so over the top and exasperated, but sweating through it. I know that he wasn't smoking and drinking during that moment, but it seems like the sort of thing he would be doing at the same time. Um, I know you're a big David Harbour fan. I'm a huge David Harbour in Stranger Things fan. I, I don't... In Stranger Things, well, there's the caveat. because I don't really know his work outside of Stranger Things. You loved Hellboy. You haven't seen Hellboy. I never saw Hellboy, and I almost I don't want to see him in anything else because it's the character that I enjoy so much. Oh, yeah, Hopper. Except there is his new show on Netflix, and I have started to watch a little bit of that, and he does not disappoint. He's going to be in the Black Widow movie. All right. You're going to see him. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, and, of course, Millie Bobby Brown remains um, the greatest, capital T, capital G and I will never stop my lonely one man campaign to get her cast as a teenage princess Leia in like a Disney plus TV show or something <laughs> Lucasfilm hear my words make this happen um, oh they're listening Brad <laughs> oh they are listening don't you pander to me so Carrie Elwes and uh, Winona Ryder uh, were not the only 1980s artifacts on display in season 3 the soundtrack as always is brimming with awesome vintage tunes the brand new mall in town is overflowing with fashions and corporate logos that we haven't seen in 30 years and there's even uh, lip service that I think entertained the heck out of both of us um, to the news media's inclination in the 80s to label weird events as the result of devil worship and yes. then and then follow that up with like as you can see here with this Dungeons and Dragons illustration <laughs> yes. that the youth of America are all Satan worshippers. Yeah, the um, <laughs> Satan taking over America was a big thing in the 80s. It sure was. And I grew up in the south so it was even wow. it was really big where I grew up. <laughs> In, in the Bible in Belt. East Tennessee in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Yeah. Well, you're a bunch of Satan worshippers if you weren't going to church, right? <laughs> yep. Um, right. So if if we're talking about the 80s stuff, I mean, truly, when you th that mall was so amazing. Um, and even their promotional Ugh. stuff leading up to it was, you know, with like promotional videos that are clearly like shot on VHS. Starcourt Mall! Yeah. It's so obviously a set, but it was so well dressed and the <laughs> the logos and the colors and I'm never not going to see gap logos from the 80s in my sleep the fonts I mean fonts. I didn't know the word font in the 80s but <laughs> uh, yeah it was all really beautiful and weird and <laughs> just like oh my god there's Claire's and Walden books and Walden hot dog books. on a stick and yeah. So good. It was beautiful. I, I couldn't look myself in the mirror as the host of a podcast called 1.21 Gigawatts 
staying within the 80s theme, if I didn't call out the multiple Back to the Future references in season three, which made me delighted to no end. So the Alvin, uh, sorry, the Alan Silvestri score to Back to the Future even provided the tense underscoring for some moments in Stranger Things, like as Dustin is frantically contacting his friends from the movie theater projection booth, you can hear the music, which is like, dun, 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 all the stings from Back to the Future, bum, 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 and they're like working for the movie and also for him at the same time. Yeah, that's brilliant. I didn't catch that. I will look forward to that on my second viewing. <laughs> second of 15 viewings. <laughs> well, here's another one that I didn't even realize. Uh, until I was preparing this, in retrospect, I realized that uh, both Back to the Future and Stranger Things Season 3 have sequences of these tense motor vehicle standoffs speeding forward in late night mall parking lots. Oh my God. So like, yes. not only are they continuing to, I mean, this is what Stranger Things does, right? It pulls from greatest hits from the 80s um, even like the idea of a Russian invasion um, oh. in small town America. Yes. It happened. You know, it was on big screens. Yes. But they throw it in the blender and they make something new out of it. And so when I thought about the fact, like, here's here's uh, Billy in his car, vroom, vroom, waiting to come racing, like, faster, 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 in like a late night parking lot in outside a mall, not the Twin Pines Mall, but it might as well be, which I'm sure like with wetted down streets and everything, like, you just have to hit the right, you know, miles per hour and you're going to go through time, buddy. <laughs> uh, it made me so happy. So, Lulu, this season had a pretty definitive ending to the point that when it ended, you said, is this, is this yeah, it? Yeah, I was like, aw, I'm this so is, sad. Stranger Things is done now. Right, because I don't stay up on the entertainment news like you do. Well, I... You already knew there was going to be a season four. Yeah. I did not know that. I believe that they've talked about a season four and a season five <laughs> as well. Well, yes. if for no other reason, because you know that Netflix has no interest in letting this money cow walk out of the barn anytime it soon. does not disappoint. So where do we go from here, Lulu? What happens? What do we need to see in season four? What do you need to see in season I four? I need to see David Harbour. <laughs> the okay, American. Wait, no, wait. Wait. We, call, we refer to him as the American <laughs> in cell number six. I'm like even blanking on his character's name because <laughs> I always call him David Harbour. Uh, Jim Harper. Yes, thank you. My God, Jim Harper. Uh, yeah, so I I do not want him to be dead, but as we have discussed... I do not think he is dead. With comic book rules, if you don't see the body, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean they're dead. Just like with Dr. Brenner, sure, yes. the Demogorgon leaped on him, yeah. and for all Brenner intents and purposes, yeah. he should be yeah. shredded to death, but we never saw the body, so... Yes. Yes. Yeah, same with, uh, with um, Hopper. Um but the machine disintegrates people, so... Maybe this machine just transports them to Kamchatka, which is where we see <laughs> the... Ra which is a name that sticks only in my mind because, again, it is from the Risk board game as a location, which that's I played it in the 80s, so I count it as an 80s reference. Um, yeah, that's right. Where, are we ever going to see David... Or David Brenner. Are we going to see <laughs> Dr. Brenner... Again, are we going to are we going to see the psychic kids from Chicago again? Potentially. Uh, yeah, I sort of feel in a weird way like all this stuff needs to come together at some point. But 
I mean, they keep making seasons like this. They can do whatever they want. Right. And then where the hell did they get this uh, demidog, uh, demigorgon? Oh, yeah. The Russians have a demidog gorgon. Right. Who's in our dimension. And can it flip and back and forth between our dimension right. and the upside down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I Everyone's had these same thoughts. Comment. I just feel like I'm not saying anything that new everyone's like uh yeah lulu we were wondering the same thing duh hey they're not <laughs> saying that out there if you're saying that out there stop saying it she can hear you <laughs> um lulu i'm so glad that we get to talk about this and i'm glad that we got to share it in the first place it was a blast watching oh, this oh no we're not done are we what else do what else should we talk about a never never ending story All right, let's talk about never ending story oh yes <laughs> yes Oh, wow. You know, you, Brad, I think, put it very well in saying that... Thank you in advance. ...in that it takes a, a lot of guts to do that. And yeah. then you just commit to it and you go for it. And for me, it worked. I mean, just the tension was mounting and and so much was going down. And then we see Susie and this <laughs> song happens and they don't do just a little bit. They do a, lot. a couple of minutes of song and we see everyone's reactions yeah. in the moment, which was hilarious, yeah. right? Just yeah. to see like the straight man reaction to like the <laughs> what the hell is happening. And also, I was a big fan of that song <laughs> back in the day. And I, th I think I was a fan of the movie. I'm, I, 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 I was definitely a big fan of the song. <laughs> I loved that song so much. So that they chose that song, which is like it made me and my inner yeah. child leap for joy. Yeah, for sure. I, I will double down on, on the fact that I, I think that it's a... Uh, is a mark of how confident they are that they know they've got an incredible story and and product that that they can do that that it's in the final episode that ever, in and again in a show that has just been relentless like I haven't I rewatched season 1 at one point a while ago I've not rewatched season 2 but I don't remember any of the seasons feeling like it is nothing but momentum 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 since so early on in the season like i really feel like starting with episode two it was like oh lord it's on um i felt like it took a little bit longer to build for really? me for okay. season three not i wouldn't say episode two i say a lot was happening but they were also taking their time oh with the whole breakup stuff uh, you know between mike and l and max and, and, Luke, and lucas yeah. everyone uh, sort of had a moment where they're like think we're breaking up okay <laughs> yeah. never mind because we're gonna die soon so especially with i mean but they're laying a foundation mm -hmm. so and I, I i like that we can just spend some time in just normal life mm. and not monster life yes right that's true i love the fact and, and i know we're getting slightly off topic from the confidence See, i told you i didn't story. want to stop talking you're about right it. buckle in everyone we've been another 45 minutes um <laughs> yeah the fact that um I loved that the first season or the first episode of season three was so taking their time. Yeah, just to see like, wow, Mike and Elle do nothing but make out on a bed um, and then get busted over and over and over. This is this is <laughs> what they do. Get yelled at by dad. And poor Will trying to play D&D. &D and... Uh, and, but, but I think that they've 
why the show is so good and so successful is because so much of it is so rooted in character that it's the same reason not to make all things in my life and pull it back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, you know what, Brad? But, you know hey, what? Hey, ouch, I'm, I'm ouch, him. I'm ouch. Brad. This is uh, this dropped, is admissible in court. They dropped the one little line where Mike said, "It's not my fault you don't like girls." Yeah, they did. That was huge. Yeah. I felt that moment was like, oh. Well, and it can be read, of course, in multiple ways. Like I, and I think that's the strength of it. I think that when he says that, it's not him saying you're gay. I think it could be. It might be, but I think it's more in that moment of like, I'm sorry you don't like the things we like, Mm -hmm. which is the fact that we're now interested. But the reason why I'm hitting you, Brad, is because (laughs) yeah, why are you hitting me? Remember when we were talking earlier in this segment about what we could potentially be setting up for. Oh, this is true. Right? Yeah. So what is Will's romantic relationship Mm -hmm. going to be? almost feels like we need to explore that now. Yeah, I wonder wonder if they will or uh, if, no pun intended, if they will, (laughs) uh, or if they've sort of, "Eh, this is weird, I'm I'm afraid I'm going to put my foot in my mouth in a weird way, or like if they've, checked that box that's a horrible thing to say in a way by uh ultimately telling us that um oh what's her character's name yeah if if robin by eventually revealing that robin is gay um i mean i love that they're doing this that they're sliding in like you know what this was a thing in the 80s you know people many people were closeted some people were not um, <laughs> kids our age were closeted yeah, for, for sure. sure so it seemed really kind of amazing and brave when Robin opened up and mm-hmm. said that and also a thousand percent believable that um, Steve was like but you're a girl I don't get it <laughs> you know that it would not it really you had, a, you had to hit him over the head to be like Oh, I've heard about people that, you know, are same-sex interest or something. Yeah. Oh, you know what we've said in previous segments talking about the Stranger Things that I would just like to emphasize for our viewers? Are you going to hit me again? No, I'm not going to hit you. Just that we, (laughs) or I know that I was the exact same age as the characters in those years. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, like, what they see and experience and the fashion and everything, like, that was dead on my cultural experience. Right. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, And and mine as well. So, it's totally understandable the way some people would react to this, including the fact that a lot of these kids are aging into deeper voices. Like, the boys are aging into deeper voices and aging out of wanting to play role-playing games. Um, I felt that, and there was that one scene for sure that that Will was trying really hard to bring them back to it and they were looking at him like dude it's not a thing anymore it's not cool anymore or you know this seems dumb and and he was so sad and leaving and ultimately goes to to Fort Byers that and destroys really it. That really affected you personally did, I could tell. It did. I I thought that was incredibly well written and performed and I found it really really sad for reasons that uh I will analyze in my own time um, <laughs> <laughs> and not on a microphone. But um, yeah, that that hurt. Well, as we've discussed back then, being called a nerd was a put down. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. And so there was nerd shame. Yeah. And so I think it was even more 
painful for him, and maybe this is my thing, that uh, when your nerd friends then turn on you, I want to say they didn't really turn on him, but even when you know your your buddies in nerddom, that they're the ones looking at you and saying, "Dude, it's over." Like, uh, you know, I kind of pity you, man, for holding on to this. Like, oh, oh, man, that that hurt. Okay, I've got some work to do on myself now. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, the point I was going to make before when I when I brought up the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that, like, I love watching Marvel movies, um, you know, for a thousand reasons. But one of the main ones is like, I just like seeing them be themselves like half the time I don't care if any action stuff even happens like I would happily watch you know the Avengers crew have you know just sit around a coffee table and bust on each other and just be themselves be character moments and I think that that's why Stranger Things succeeds as well as it does so much because when we have those character moments man they're so they know their characters so well the writers and the performers that um, a lot is said and communicated um, in these in very uh, brief strokes. Yes, absolutely. I agree. 100%. All right. So Lulu, you're amazing. Thanks for talking to me about this. What do we do now? Should we go pick another series to binge watch? Any suggestions? What's, uh, what are we going to do? I, well, I still need to watch Handmaid's Tale. So yeah, and I'm watching something upbeat then. I'm watching Outlander as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, (laughs) I think we stuck that landing. Yeah, that was inspirational. Uh, Let me see what else. (laughs) I didn't expect that question. Well, you're you're welcome. Uh, So, uh, okay, out there. um, Hopefully, I'm sure that you enjoyed Stranger Things the way we did. Uh, Otherwise, we just spoiled the whole season for you. You're welcome. They sing Neverending Story in the final episode, and it is pivotal. Uh, So go in. You warned them, Brad. I warned you all. Oh, so Scott and I walked by Hot Topic the other day and totally were gaga over their Stranger Things products. They have an L shirt, like an 80s uh, button down. With all the colors. Yeah, colorful uh, shirt that was pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. We just needed a hopper shirt, like for the guys. Hopper doesn't wear shirts. <laughs> he just walks well, around. He has that really towels. awesome '80s shirt that he wears. Oh, that he wears on quote unquote dates. Right, and we need like a, some scoops ahoy outfits too. I think so. Well, um, they had Dustin's summer camp pants and a <laughs> summer camp hat. Kids are walking around wearing this stuff now. Uh, I think also, as uh, we leave you listeners, um, if any of you work for Hot Topic, um, you're willing, uh, welcome to sponsor this show. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, Hot Topic. Oh, you're always thinking, Brad. Bye, everyone. Originally from Honolulu, Hawaii, Lin Yoshi is a comic book artist and illustrator based out of Brooklyn, New York. And when you're prowling the artist's alleys of fine comic book shows near you, Lin's work will stop you in your tracks. Her use of light and color on portrayals of strong women specifically, like Wonder Woman, Storm, Red Sonja, and more, will make you wonder, as a recent Facebook poster recently did, why isn't Lin Yoshi more famous? 
In the industry, Lynn has done work for DC Comics, Boom Studios, and even served as an assistant editor at Marvel. She's also an alumni of the highly competitive DC Comics Artists Development Workshop, where she studied under Andy Kubert and Klaus Janssen. It's also where she learned to never underestimate the power of a welcome cupcake. This interview was conducted at the 2018 Garden State Comic Fest, and you'll know it because there's some unavoidable background noise. That said, please enjoy my conversation with Lin Yoshi. And as you can see, we're surrounded by the glorious artwork of Lin Yoshi. Hello, Lin. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks. Good, good. Thanks for being here. Um, the show is better for your presence. Um, I want to. I want to go back in time. I want to get the secret origin story of Lin Yoshi. What? Um, tell me about what. What got you inspired uh, in comics by comics? How you knew that this was the career for you? Well. I wanted to be a comic book artist since I was seven years old. Whoa. Yes, you knew I know. Early. Yeah, I knew early. Um, I was primarily reading Japanese comics, and there was a series called Doraemon. I don't know, not many people might not know about it outside of, you know, Japan. But uh, yeah, it made me cry as a six year old. I said, what is this magic? And you know, <laughs> I wanted to do comics ever since. And also, there was a friend of mine who told me I couldn't become a comic book artist, so despite uh, her, yes. that's not right. Absolutely, despite no. That's not a good reason, people. No. <laughs> No, but it is awfully motivating sometimes when someone says you can't do something. Yeah. Then, is, would, would you say, is that something that, that you've encountered throughout your life? Is that something every once in a while that still hits you like, yeah. what do you mean there's a barrier in the way? Yes, yes, that pretty much is a, a great motivator. If somebody tells me that I can't do it, I'll pretty much go ahead and do it. <laughs> nice, I, I like that. Um, uh, what, what was it about that about that comic that that made you that made you cry? Do you remember? Oh, man, it's a really good story. Um, basically, you know, it's it's a about a boy and his robot cat friend from the future. It's a common story. So basically, the robot cat is there to help him, you know, throughout his life. But then at a certain point, it's like, you know, you're good. I help you enough. I have to go. And he goes back to the future. And, you know, and I cry. <laughs> yeah, sure. And there was a twist ending, which also made me blow, you know, blow me. It made me cry even more. So. Man. Well, you're right. The universal tale of a boy and his robot cat. Yes. That's always, that, that'll get you every time. Um, I know that you are an alumni of the DC Artist Workshop. Uh, class of 2016. Congratulations. Um, um, I'm fascinated to know more about that program. Tell me about that program and how you found it and, and what was involved. Well, uh, I just happened to come across it on, you know, online, probably through some sort of comic industry news site. And I said, oh my God, like DC Comics never does this kind of stuff. Um, I better get on it immediately. I had a friend who actually went to the 2015 pilot program and he said like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Go for it. Go for it. So, you know, um, I went for it in 2016 and like, yeah, it was pretty amazing that I got in. Like, it was an international competition, like with, I think, over a thousand applicants. And to get in was like a real like honor and privilege to get through. How, and how many ultimately were in the program? One, I think there were six. Something like six. Maybe one, two, or was it eight? Wait. Uh, Two people. Well, I I do remember. <laughs> she, she's thinking really hard. I, I do remember like flipping through just to see because I was I was doing my research on you and of course like oh let's just checking this out and you can flip through and it lists like five people and then the instructors and like oh maybe they just didn't list everyone but maybe that's but that was it. it. People, I think it was six people like this. Wow. There was um, me, Sia, Minkyu, Lalit, Sam, and Abraham. 
think they're That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. And um, did that take place in New York and California? It was in California. They actually flew us in to California, Burbank, and they set up us in a very nice hotel. There was a cupcake waiting at the hotel. <laughs> It just blew me away, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like a, a, a two, almost two, not quite, but almost two week workshop yeah. of just like you know learning from uh, Carlos Jansen and Andy Kubert, and just being at the DC offices, going through every editorial apartment, and, like looking through our portfolios, and just like it was, it was an absolutely great experience. Yeah, is, I'm, I'm pretty sure anybody who went through that talent program will say that. Yeah, it sounds like a reality show in sort of a it crazy was a reality way. Show without the horrible scripted, you know. Uh, tension and you know drama. It was just fun. It was right. really good. There, no, like uh, no s- sneaking off in a booth and someone talking about like, I walked in and Lynn took my cupcake no, and right. No, nothing like yeah, that. No, awesome. <laughs> that that is great and uh, yeah, some pretty heavy hitters as far as the instructors go as well. Yeah. Um, in in your collaboration, so now when you're working on your stuff, what what makes a good uh, relationship, a good constructive writer artist uh, collaboration? What do you look like when and uh, where would you look for from writers to, uh, for you? Um, well, mostly, like, the thing that we most need is clarification. Mm. Um, sometimes, like, writer's scripts are, like, just so, you know, transparent. Like, oh, I have absolutely, I could totally know what this want, the person wants to do in their script. So maybe there might not be, you know, like, any problems there. But sometimes, yes, like, um, I don't know what this person <laughs> Is, she, is this character supposed to be angry? And then, you know, you have to take it upon yourself to, like, you know, contact the, you know, writer and take the initiative. It's like, hey, like, you know, let's talk about this script. So, you know, you know, as an artist, you're there to enhance their story. So you want to, like, you know, communicate their intentions and, like, make it even better. Yeah. So that's my, you know. Uh, are there, uh, tell me about what projects are coming up for you next. What should we be looking for? Mm, right now, I'm not really working on anything in particular as for big names. Right now, I'm just taking mostly commissions. Yeah, I was going to say, other than an amazing Batman 66 commission right yeah. now. Well, hopefully, <laughs> I'm, like, planning to get more work done, maybe some more cover work and stuff like that. Well, if people want to follow uh, your adventures online or what's coming up next, where can they find you online? What's the best place to reach out? Well, I'm really easy to Google because there's only one Lin Yoshi out there, thankfully. Um, so, yeah, um, check me up on Facebook or um, Instagram. Uh, you'll find me there. Like, just, just look up Lin Yoshi <laughs> I'll be there. Or if you want um, to look up the proto- handle ProtoKitty, if that's easier to spell, you'll be able okay. to find me. Very good. You heard it here first. It's Lin Yoshi, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up. Yeah! Have a great show. Thank you. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests Lin Yoshi and Lulu French. Special thanks also to Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo at the Garden State Comic Fest and Eric Palomo for all of the awesome field work. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? And what deserves to walk the jungling wastes of Tatooine until all that remains is a sun-bleached skeleton? You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Gigawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. 
Get thee to 121geekwatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And while you're nerding around on the internet, please be sure to visit marvel.com where you can find more of my work as the writer of the Marvel Top 10 video series. The most recent episodes include Top 10 Animal-Themed Villains and Top 10 Symbiote Hosts. You know, a lot of people have been hosts for the Venom Symbiote. Heck, maybe you made the list. Only one way to find out. Visit marvel.com to see the full videos. Hey, did you know that every episode of this podcast is available for free at Apple Podcasts? It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. And while you're visiting Apple Podcasts, you can help us out. Whether you're a subscriber or not, please rate and review the show, especially if you have something nice to say, because that will help more like-minded listeners find the show. If you're not an Apple Podcasts user, you can also find us at SoundCloud.com or on Player FM. You're probably listening to my voice right now thanks to one of those platforms. Browse the other episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation for you. If you enjoyed this episode's interview with Lin Yoshi, I encourage you to check out episode number 32 when I spoke with Kristen Gudsnuck, another super talented illustrator and writer who, if you're lucky, you'll discover at an artist's alley near you. That's episode number 32 of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. Huge gratitude to my co-producer, composer, sound designer, and human host to lustrous sentient facial hair, David Sisko. I am and remain the best. <laughs> Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of Geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2 Awesome rocking out with a 1.21 Gigawatts theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Gigawatts, what every geek wants is what we got. From Doctor Who to Aqualad, you might meet Luke and Leia's dad. Pop culture that is super rad, hosted by some guy named Brad. It'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks. 1.21 freaking Gigawatts. The events have been tallied. And two Amazons are now tied for the honor. There is only one way to break the deadlock. Bullets and bracelets. For only women have the necessary speed and coordination to attempt bullets and bracelets without the loss of life. Are you ready? Begin.